This Week in Tech. Now's your chance to get caught up on all that's happening in the technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now, here's Gene Destro. This week, using big data to fight opioid addiction, big data breaches, and what the government can do to stop them, the latest on efforts to restore net neutrality, and the race in space to provide internet access. All this and more coming up. The opioid epidemic has hit Ohio particularly hard with thousands of people overdosing and dying, children left without parents, law enforcement working night and day to stem the flow of drugs, overcrowded jails, and court dockets clogged with drug dealers and their customers. But what if there was a way to use technology to somehow break the cycle of addiction? That's the basis of a big data study going on right now at Ohio University. Rick Hodges, who's executive in residence there, explains what they're doing. There are literally hundreds of different databases in the various agencies of state government that relate to health. And in the past, you could look at one data set at a time. What is so revolutionary about this is now all those data sets are being combined into one place, which is the data lake. And now you can study all those data sets at one time and look at different variables, whether it be from law enforcement or health or Medicaid or Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. And so you can really get a much, much clearer picture of the problems associated with opiates and and how you can respond more effectively. I assume you're using some sort of big data analytics to suss that all out. Based on that, what did you guys figure out? Well, we're in the midst of the study right now, and hopefully by the end of the year there will be some concrete conclusions. But I, I think the exciting part here is the fact that for the first time we're doing this. But why is this exciting? Well, right now we don't have a very good picture at all of why people become opiate dependent and how, why some people do and some people don't and what happens to them along the path from the first time they're exposed till they have a catastrophic event. After we get done with this kind of research, we will be able to understand that and we will be able to say, oh, if we have just intervened at the school or if we intervene when somebody gets hurt or if we intervene when somebody has a uh, traumatic event, whether it's divorce or job loss or anything else that's traumatic in life, uh, death of a loved one. Once we know where the critical points are to intervene, we can focus our resources on those critical points and make sure people get the help they need before opioids destroy their lives. Well, let's just say that you knew that information. How would you go from knowing that to the large population to applying that to just your regular guy on the street? I mean, how do you go from one point to another? You can educate healthcare providers, educators, you know, anybody in, along that path, families, as to what to look for long before opioids become a problem. And once we know what the red flags are, we can intervene and say, hey, let's get you counseling, let's get you medically assisted treatment if you're already on opioids. Let us focus on you and, and help you get to a job. Uh, whatever those triggers are, which we're going to determine, it allows us to then inform all the people that are surrounding that at-risk individual so that they know what to look for and, and what to do when, when they spot it. Isn't it pretty clear, even without big data, when somebody has an opiate 
problem. It becomes clear when somebody has a problem, we want to intervene before that, and that's not clear at all. And, you know, we know that the numbers to the statistics tell us that white males between the ages of 25 and 34 tend to be the most at-risk population, but there are a lot of white males between 25 and 34 who don't have problems with opioids, and there are a lot of people who are not white males in that age group who do have problems. So we don't know enough about the profile of somebody who's going to have a problem with opiates to intervene in advance of that problem and prevent it. But we do know that most people get addicted after they get treated for some sort of an illness, or no, is that not true? That's what we think. That's certainly part of the profile, but a lot of people have an accident or and, and don't have any problems at all with opioids. Most people, you know, get hurt and don't have problems with opioids. Why do a certain number of people have this problem? What else is going on in their lives or in their bodies that lead them to an opioid addiction? And now from big data to big data breaches, like the ones at Equifax and Marriott that exposed millions of people's credit card, social security, and even passport information last year. In Washington, Ohio Senator Rob Portman talked about an investigation that uncovered some startling new evidence at a hearing aimed at determining what, if any, new federal regulations are necessary to protect consumer data. That report documents how Equifax failed to follow basic cybersecurity practices practices and protocols which prevented the company from identifying and patching an exploitable vulnerability on its system. During the course of our investigation, we also learned the company failed to preserve important documents related to the breach. As a result, he says, companies and government agencies alike must take steps to better protect the data consumers entrust to them. That is clear. And when that data is compromised, we need to know as soon as possible so we can do everything we can to ensure criminals are no longer taking advantage of us as consumers. Akron man allegedly connected to the anonymous hacker collective pled guilty to federal charges related to denial of service attacks that shut down the websites of the Akron Police Department and the city of Akron in August of 2017. Federal prosecutors say 33-year-old James Robinson will be sentenced July 1st on a charge of damaging protected computers. They say Robinson's phone was connected to a Twitter account, which also claimed credit for online attacks on federal agencies including the National Institutes of Health, the Department of Defense, and the Department of the Treasury. And it's not just hackers and data breaches that consumers have to worry about. It's also the speed of their internet connection and how much they have to pay for it now that federal net neutrality rules have been repealed. But as CBS News technology consultant Larry Maggot tells us, that may be about to change. There is no question that, that the House of Representatives under uh, Nancy Pelosi and with the Democratic control will pass the net neutrality bill, and that would go to the Senate. And because the last time the Senate took it up, it actually did get enough Republican support to pass, so it could possibly pass the Senate. And of course, then it goes to the president, and it's not clear what he'll do. But if it were to pass, it would basically codify the same rules that were in place during the Obama administration, which basically said that Internet service providers had to allow all traffic equally. They couldn't uh, favor certain traffic or punish other traffic. So in terms of how this is going to affect consumers, at least so far, consumers haven't really seen any difference yet, have they? I think it's mostly a concern 
that given their own business interests, the, the ISPs could start interfering with traffic on the Internet and basically saying, well, we, uh, we, we love your little uh, startup video service, but we have a deal with Netflix, so we're not going to give you the same priority as we give Netflix. They're going to get faster speeds. They're going to go into their homes faster because they, they're willing to pay more money. Do you think at this point the ISPs are just kind of waiting to see which way the wind is going to blow there in Washington? Obviously, the FCC says one thing and Congress might say another thing, so that's why consumers haven't seen any actual real changes yet. Right, and by the way, it's not that there are no changes. There have been cases, for example, where they've bundled services. So they may, for example, offer a service on, on their network that uh, either free or discounted price, and again, based on a business consideration. And especially it's true now that the big ISPs are themselves media companies. If you think about Verizon, it acquired a number of media properties, including Yahoo and AOL and, and HuffPost and others, and AT&T is, is you know, this whole thing with the Time Warner merger with Comcast, of course, one's NBC Universal, another major internet service provider. So there is reason to believe that there could be a problem. But the ISPs are lobbying very heavily. They're spending a lot of money trying to discourage a net neutrality bill. But it remains to be seen uh, what Congress does. There's a race in space going on right now to provide internet connectivity here on Earth. Jeff Colvin from Fortune Magazine explained. OneWeb is the latest space-based internet startup to launch satellites into orbit. The company's backed by billionaires Richard Branson and Masayoshi Son, and it recently launched its first six satellites with about 650 more to go. The company will begin offering customer demonstrations next year and full internet service from space anywhere on the planet in 2021. OneWeb has attracted about $2 billion in backing so far as it races against rivals, large and small, to offer much faster Internet connections from satellites than are available now. The competition includes Elon Musk's SpaceX and two existing satellite-based Internet providers, Viasat and Echostar, plus dozens of upstarts like Swarm Technologies, Astrocast, and Sky and Space Global. SpaceX and Swarm have also launched satellites. Most of these companies plan to launch hundreds or thousands of small, cheap, low-Earth orbit satellites, so the pace of launch activity will soon become blistering. This modern space race is intense because companies want to sign up big commercial customers soon. OneWeb is doing well. It also announced it had signed its first two commercial customers, Talia, which provides satellite connectivity in Africa and the Middle East, and the European telecommunications carrier Intermatica. And that's it for now. See you next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news and find more online at WAKR.net.